Right. We have a heck of a lot to do. And it's not my fault. <laughs> I'm just doing what the Holy Spirit told us to do. So, if it's too much, talk to the boss. Okay. Not on us. We have already um, compacted it as much as we possibly can. So. I feel like I'm going to roll up my sleeves again today. Like in so. the good old days. So. <laughs> So. <laughs> okay, so you all know that I'm in the preparation process to go meet with the Lord and every year I lay the fellowship down and I don't know if it's such a big deal for you, I'm the one that has to go in and meet with Him and usually I meet with Him on a daily basis obviously but this is kind of an official thing so this year, I'm really careful about the preparing for it and looking at everything. And, and much of what's going to happen now is in context to that reality and that truth. Um, obviously, there's some things that can be corrected and put in place before I go meet with them. And so I'd like to correct whatever can be corrected, if possible. And uh, you guys, each and every person, are going to play a very important role in how that meeting is going to go. Okay. And at times we all think we're doing really, really well. And there is times when we do really, really well. But the focus has really gone to how, how have we progressed over the last year, two years, three years, in the area of laying down self and walking away from self. And uh, the more I'm sitting with him, the more I'm realizing we didn't do that well, really. We've done well in many areas, but as far as walking away from self, I'm convinced that we are in a worse state this year, this time, than what we were last year this time. We have regressed in that area. And it's that's what I'm sensing from the Lord. And it's better for us to address these things openly, be honest. One of the reasons that we are here and not in one of the big buildings where so many others are gathering is because my conviction is that we are not going to sit in church year after year and just look at each other and see that nothing is changing and do nothing about it. And so that's why this morning we are going to look at agreements and we are going to look at covenant and we are going to look at what those agreements are supposed to be so that we can renew these things. And I'm going to just go and meet with the Lord regarding this fellowship and tell myself everything is the way it's supposed to be when actually we've lost some ground as, as a group. Not any individual, but as a group it seems we've lost some ground. We have fought some big battles, we've made some big sacrifices, and we have done well in many areas. There's a lot of growth, a lot of progression, a lot of change in many people. There's maturing in many people. But as a group, when it comes to that one area, we've actually lost ground. I've uh, been looking at how speaking and acting 
has regressed uh, from sanctified speech and sanctified action regressed slowly but surely and slid back into what is comfortable and we don't realize when it happens but we can see when it happens and so all of us have to shake the lethargic attitude a little bit off ourselves and we are in the season where prophetically has already confirmed for us in this year that we should be building the house of the Lord but every time every year after that it's almost like instead of stepping up and building we kind of it's like government workers arriving at work you see have you noticed how a lot of people come to work to, to rest so that they can have energy to do things at home <laughs> so many people in south africa is in south africa it's common you know anybody been in the marketplace you actually watch people that arrive ready to rest see how much rest they can work in before they go home so, maybe not in every sector, but if you just look around carefully, you'll see that attitude. Now, okay, so the building of the house of the Lord continues with or without us. Because He's building it, we get to help. Okay, now, we're going to take a few large steps today to try and get the motors running and the momentum going. Right. But we but. want to say from the get-go, we are doing nothing, no thing new today. So there's no reason to go like, oh, it's so much, or what is it? Everything we are about to say, we have said before. Okay. So don't close your notebooks just because she said that. No, no. Open. No, no. <laughs> Widen the page. We recap so that you don't have to go and look for the notes from three years ago uh, in a drawer. So we just recap so that you can have new notes on the same teaching. How's that? Okay. So we are covenantal people. We are covenant people, aren't we? And one of the things that set this ministry apart from others is that we endeavor to understand covenant. Mm. Why can I say this? Because uh, we've asked many people in many places and many pastors to explain covenant to us, especially what is uh, widely known as new covenant. And generally believers have no idea. They know there is a new covenant. They believe they have it. They just don't know what it is. Okay, all the everything that we teach has to do with covenant. Everything has to be in context to covenant. What is covenant? Okay, check your understanding as we speak. What is covenant? Covenant is the agreement between God and man. There's two gods in this world. One comes and he will offer you a whole lot of promises and benefits and expect very little from your side. Most people will go and attend that God's churches because it's wonderful to be there. Only He's not going to deliver on His promises and He's not going to give you anything 
at all. And that's why he's not going to expect too much from you either. That's the basic system, religious system of the world and the God that presides over that system. But the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, the God of the Bible, Yahweh, is quite clear about what his expectations and requirements is. Why can I say that he's quite clear? Well, it's written down. Black on white, or red on white. So we want to reestablish a basic agreement that this thing called the Bible is God's will expressed and explained to us. And so you can endeavor to understand covenant by doing a study on covenants. And that will get you halfway there. But like any contract, okay, so you can go. Who had economics in school? I don't know what they do today. It's been a few years. But they have to actually teach a child what a contract is. Somewhere somebody has to teach you and explain to you what is a contract and how it works. Now that would be the st someone studying what covenant is. Now, once you know what a contract is, it still doesn't tell you what is written in a specific contract. Mm -hmm. To know what's written in a contract, you have to take a contract, read it, study it, and then decide if you want to sign it. Okay. Now, see, God gave us this. It's the explanation of His will. His will made known. And it's the book of the covenants what this is actually about. They just changed the word to testaments. Because it's more positive. It's kind of we get something out. That's why they changed it to testaments. It's actually covenant. See a testament is the dad is dead, he died, and he left his goods to the children. And if they whether they're gonna do what he's what he asked in his testament or not, nobody's gonna no. He's dead. See our God is not dead, he's alive. So it cannot be that kind of testament it has to be another kind of testament. Yes, we did get an inheritance, but he's not dead. He's alive. Okay. And so he knows whether we are going to fulfill the contract requirements or not. A lot of people act as if he's, he doesn't know. And we don't want to be those people. Okay. So when you get a contract, you go through the contract, and if you don't like the specifications in the contract, you ask if amendments can be made. And then if everybody agrees, then you change the, what's written in the contract until the two parties agree, and then both parties can sign the contract. The question is, can we do that with this contract? We go through it, we go like, I don't like this part particularly. Can't agree to this. I still want eternal life and I want salvation. I want to go to heaven. Okay, so the agreement is, I want to go to heaven. I just don't want to do this in the way that you want. So I'll tell you what. I'm going to make some amendments. And because you're a loving God, you're still going to allow me into heaven. That's the attitude of most people. 
Now we do not promote a works based salvation. Okay. We actively promote entering into the rest of God. His finished work. But because His finished work is what we enter into, we can no, no longer change it. Something's finished, it's finished. Can't change it. You just have to enter in or not. So we get that part. Now we're going to start off by reading a few scriptures. And what we are going to do today is we have formulated with the help of the Holy Spirit, and I didn't help at all. I had no contribution as usual. Well, with you all wrote him. It down on the I wrote it down. That was my part. So we formulated and we designed a little mind map. And we are going to present it to you. These are all the key parts of the Bible fitted together so that you can clearly understand the plan of God in the Word. Now I'm going to explain quickly. Listen carefully. This whole thing is covenant. It explains God's plan. What He's going to do, how He's going to start, what He's going to do throughout and how it's going to end. It's a proposal. And the proposal is done. He did it. Now he goes and he says, do you want to be part of it? It's done. You can enter into it. You just can't change or add to it. But you can agree to it. And if you agree to it, you can become part of what's in you. <coughs> okay. So this is God's will. Explained at length. In detail. And we have designed a mind map so that you don't have to study the whole Bible in the first instances. You just have to look at these scriptures, understand them, and you have an understanding of God's plan. Now we're going to formulate that, the plan. And everything we do in this ministry is designed around the plan. If you understand the plan, then you can walk according to the plan. It's pretty simple. Leon is an architect. Okay, So what they do is before somebody builds a house, a plan is drawn up. It's given to everybody that's going to be involved in the actual building of that house or the mall or the building or whatever. Okay. Now you wouldn't want various people on the building site to all decide they're going to do as they think best. Imagine a group of people showed up and went, So guys, let's build a house. You do what you want to do, I'm going to do what I want to do. You figure out something over there. The electrician's doing something, the plumber's doing something at the same time. So, the basic concept is familiar to us. Something that the world operates according to. A plan is drawn up, agreements are formulated, everybody agrees, and then they go ahead and do it in the way that they agreed to do it. So that's a covenant. It's as simple as that. And it's in here. The scriptures that we're going to show you, if you do study them and keep them in mind all the time, it will reveal God's plan in the Bible. Now, The plan equals the will of God. 
our commitment, our conviction is that the will of God has to be done. The will of Yahweh has to be done. What is the Holy Spirit going to do in a person's life? He is going to make sure that you enter into the will of God so that you can do the will of God. Is the Holy Spirit going to help you do anything else? He's not your helper for that reason. If you find that you have a helper helping you do your will, please come see us for deliverance. <laughs> Don't let anybody else help himself to your life. So that's what the Holy Spirit is going to do. The Holy Spirit is only busy with the will of Yahweh. The Holy Spirit's only busy with the Word of Yahweh. To the extent that we're not busy with the Word of Yahweh, we are quenching the Holy Spirit. Is that clear? And today what we're going to do is we're going to go through some of these scriptures and then we are going to renew agreement. We don't believe in making vows because the Bible says do not make vows. But we strongly believe in the power of agreement. And at this juncture, I'm going to make something extremely clear. That in this fellowship, this room, this group of people, not the place, this group of people, if you cannot agree to the truths in the Bible, as we all agree to understanding it, and if you cannot agree to walking according to the principles, you cannot fellowship with this fellowship. I don't care how nice you think you are or likable. Okay, do we understand that? And I'm saying that out clearly. I don't want any misunderstandings. Okay, if you think that is uncomfortable, it is uncomfortable. The way that we fellowship together, if you want to be here, don't come into this service on a Sunday if you are not willing to walk in agreement according to what we have agreed. Not what I said, what we have agreed to. So at this moment, I'm asking Holy Spirit of God, if there's someone still in our midst that think they can come into this fellowship with active disagreement and disobedience, long term, will you please remove them? So that we can just move on and walk this road. Because we are covenant people. Put them outside the gates. Remove them from our midst. We don't want them here. For those who can walk in agreement. According to your will and your word. We will love each other. Protect each other. Be there for each other. And walk together. Because we are a body. We don't abide action that will harm the body. We say this in your sight by the authority that you have given me to lead these people. Amen. Now that's not because I'm angry or upset. It's because I'm getting tired of going back for stubborn, disobedient people. Because we're supposed to move forward on this road. We're supposed to get 
to the goals that is set before us, the joy that is set before us, and the hope that is set before us. And there's this reality that people that keep going back to doubt and stubbornness and their own things that are important for them, they're keeping everybody back. And there's some of us that have made real sacrifices to get here. Big sacrifices to get here. There's some of us that has paid a high price to get here. So I'm going to be very frank. Today we are renewing agreement. If you say that you renew agreement and you are not, there will be consequences. Don't agree if you don't agree. If there's a disagreement in your heart, you need to put it on the table. We have set a process in place where on Thursday nights anybody can speak about anything. And today we are focusing not on personal things. That's not what it's about. It's about what we have agreed to. What does the Bible say? What is the way that you're going to carry yourselves? What is the way that we're going to carry ourselves? How are we going to act? How are we going to speak? Sanctified speech. The Bible says walk circumspectly. And we agreed that we are going to walk circumspectly. What's circumspectly? You watch where you go. You watch where you step. You're aware of what you do. You're aware of what you say. We are all aware of what we do and what we say. Okay, we get that. Okay, so, now we can get to the good stuff. First read for us, out of Peter. So the first, okay, draw that for us first. We're going to put this on the board. This is a little mind map. Okay. In your notebooks, write down, if you know what we consider to be the backbone of the Bible. What piece of scripture do we consider to be the absolute most important basis on which we will learn to serve God? Just check yourself. Can we still remember this? Now, some of you have not have only been here a year or so. Okay? And that's why we are doing this again. You can go ahead. Start on the peripheral. This isn't at the end of the Bible, back of the Bible. Revelation, the seven letters. Remember, this mind map is about understanding God's plan. If we can understand this plan, then we can live according and we can become partakers in the plan. And the outcome of the plan can be our inheritance. A small portion of Colossians. A very small portions of the book of Romans. You might even say a little bite-sized portion. Alright, we'll read it out. Uh, Ephesians in the top corner there. 
we have Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 to 14. Chapter 4, verse 11 to 16. Chapter 5, verse 1, verse 15 to 17. So verse 1. And then verse 15 to 17, Ephesians chapter 6, verse 10 to 17 underneath the, there. Ephesians, verse 10 to 17. Then we have the Gospel of John, chapter 1, chapter 3, verse 14 to 16 and chapter 17 that's the gospel of john and together with that one john because those two letters agree with each other and confirm certain things as it Sorry, pertains to the plan so it's john chapter 1 3 14 16 17 and the whole of one yeah okay so john one john john chapter one okay here we have the Apostle Peter, and we have the letter 1 Peter, chapter 2, verse 9 to 10. And 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 2 to 11. Hebrews, underneath here, chapter 11. Chapter 4, verse 11. Chapter 6, verse 17. Chapter 12, verse 18 to 24. Chapter 13, verse 10 to 16. We're going to explain, don't get a script. If we write Torah, it doesn't mean you now have to read the whole Old Testament. <laughs> the whole Torah. And lost. And the hub of the wheel, the backbone of the Bible. The Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. Three whole chapters. And without it, you cannot serve Yahweh. One could successfully serve God by not knowing many pieces of the Bible, but without the Sermon on the Mount, there's no way you can please Him. Simply because His son Yahushua spoke these words, and at the end of it he said, A man who hears these words of mine and does them, I will liken to a wise man who built his house on a rock. And when the storms come and the wind blow and the rains come, his house will stand. This tells us that we will stand or fall according to how well we know these words and does them. Okay, now... We have this, 
and we are going to run through some of it again. But before we do that, we want to make ourselves aware of something else. Do you want to reread this? Do you want to read this? Let's read that, okay. and then we'll go there. Okay. And the witness one. Okay. the testimony. Oh, yes. Okay. Okay. Uh, we're going to read the two scriptures in Peter. I don't have to say where they are. It's on the board. <coughs> Listen carefully and think, because this is where we start to re... Re-agree. Re-establish agreement. We just want to make sure that we're still in agreement. Okay. <clears throat> but you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God, who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. See? Covenant people. Now, first, did we hear and understand what was written? Check with yourself that you hear really, really hear. This is the covenantal promise made to the house of Judah and the house of Israel. And God promises that there will come a time when He will make such a covenant and we will be such a people. Now, the first agreement I want you to decide. Will we have this as our identity? Because it says we are such a people. And then the second thing that you need to consider right now, will we have another identity together with that? Read it again. Slowly and carefully. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people, that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness. Okay. A special people, a holy priesthood. Called, chosen. Called and chosen to be a holy priesthood, a special people, a nation. So this causes us to no longer find our identity as South Africans, as Afrikaans or English, as coming from Britain or any other nation. We have ceased to be that. We are now a new nation. Okay. Now you have to search your heart. If this is true, can you have dual citizenship? Can you operate and live according to this and something else? Can you be a royal priesthood and not a priesthood? A special people 
and a common people. Can you be a special person and a common person? The same as everybody else. We have to decide. You have to decide. We enter into covenant to enter into the promise to answer the call. Do we still remember that? Understand that? And by being here in one room, for those who walk a road together, we are here because we have entered into covenant with Him and we have found it a way to live that out together. Which means that every interaction that takes place between any person here and another person here has to be according to the royal priesthood. Right? Okay. So I'm going to give you one minute. No, ten seconds. Because this is not new. Are you committed to interact with the body of Messiah according to being a special people, a new nation, a royal priesthood, set apart? Yes or no? Yes or no? If you are, then stand up. If you're not, then please sit down. And if you are going to lie, please decide very carefully. If you are willing to interact with the body as part of the royal priesthood, a special people, a set-apart nation according to covenant, if this is who you are, then make your decision and stand up. Or sit down if you cannot. So that everybody can know those people that cannot do this should not be trusted. Alright, so all of it is here. Please note each other. And today we're going to make a new accountability agreement. If you interact with any of the people that are currently standing and they act in a way contrary to the royal priesthood, the special people and nation, covenantal people in the image of Messiah, according to this, if you interact with them and they act in another way, that first Thursday, you don't come and speak to me privately. That first Thursday, you stand up and you say, I want to address this matter. That we are in the priesthood together, yet... When we are alone with certain people, it seems that this becomes negotiable. So the agreement that I want to ask you to enter into is that you will address it on a Thursday evening. And say, so I want you, my sister or my brother, to deal with this together in the group. You didn't act towards me in a way that accords to this covenant. Right? Note each other, we all know each other. And if we stand, this is the agreement between us. We can sit down. <laughs>
right. Next one. Okay. Second Peter. Our relationships with each other are based on agreement. And it's only a relationship as long as we maintain the agreement. I personally have no personal relationship with any of you. Did everybody hear me? I don't particularly like you. I don't particularly love you as an individual. I love you with all my heart as part of the body within the covenant. I will lay down my life for you. But individually, I'm not willing to have a relationship with you. Is that okay with you? Okay. Right. Let's carry on. Now this is the good news. These, now comes the good parts. Should I read it slow? Or just slow. Okay. <laughs> Not because anybody here is slow, just because it's better slow. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Yahushua our Lord. Stop. Grace and peace are multiplied to you in the knowledge of Yahweh and of Yahushua. Do we all understand that when it comes to peace and grace, it is only multiplied in the knowledge of Yahushua and Yahweh? Do we understand that? If we don't hold on to the knowledge that we are, that's imparted to us by the Holy Spirit and the Word, if we don't increase in the knowledge, what is the opposite of multiplication? Division. Everybody hear that? What is grace? Grace is inclusion, being on the inside. What's the opposite of being on the inside? Being on the outside. What's the opposite of multiplication? Division. So we are safe and we are bound in peace and in grace in the knowledge of Yahweh and of Yahushua. Sounds good. But when we start to act, think, or respond to the world and life around us in what is not the knowledge of Yahweh or not the knowledge of Yahushua, the vision takes place. Your peace is not multiplied. The peace of the covenant disappears. It very quickly is divided from you. And the effect, the power of grace, that inclusion in Him can very quickly become the opposite when we don't respond according to the knowledge of Yahweh and Yahushua. The application is as simple as it can be. Okay? So if you want to remember this concept, when it rains, if you're inside you stay dry, you're outside you get wet. If we walk in the knowledge of Yahushua and Yahweh, peace and grace is multiplied unto us, so what do you experience? Peace and grace. What do you extend? Peace and grace. 
When somebody comes into your presence, what do they experience? Peace and grace. Would people like to be with you? Do they want to spend time with you? Will they trust you? Once, while you're still operating in the knowledge of Yahushua and Yahweh. Yes. People get any opportunity whatsoever to spend time with you, they will take it. And when we don't operate or don't live according to the knowledge of Yahweh and Yahushua, as we understand it in the Word, what happens? People see you heading their way and they go, please don't talk to me, please don't talk to me. <laughs> Are we honest here? We're just honest with each other. We have safe people and unsafe people. Who's a safe person? The one that sticks to the agreements and what they have learned according to the Word of God. Who's an unsafe person? The ones that try and bend the rules. They operate according to their own knowledge. Or the knowledge of the world. The world system, the opposite of the kingdom system. So we get it. Now you can continue. I have ten more verses to get through. Yes, as His divine power has given to us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of Him who called us by glory and virtue. All things pertaining to life and godliness has been given to you through the knowledge of Him who called you. Now, again, the knowledge of Him who called you. Operate according to knowledge of the world, your own knowledge, your own understanding of what you want, self. And unfortunately, all things pertaining to godliness and life that has been given to you cannot be lived out. Okay, continue. By which have been given to us exceedingly great and precious promises, that through these you may be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. But also... For this very reason, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, to virtue, knowledge, to knowledge, self-control, to self-control, perseverance, to <coughs> perseverance, godliness, to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, love. For if these things are yours and abound, you will be neither barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Yahushua HaMashiach. There is the knowledge again. For he who lacks these things is short-sighted, even to blindness, and has forgotten that he was cleansed from his old sins. Therefore, brethren, be even more diligent to make your call and election sure. For if you do these things, you will never stumble. For so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into 
the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Saviour, Yahushua HaMashiach. Okay, so we have spent so much time on the Peter equation. I add to your faith virtue. And self-control features in there. Perseverance. And now, it says that you will not stumble. So if I keep stumbling, is that a sign and a witness that I have not added virtue to faith? Yes or no? It doesn't mean that we don't deal with things, wrestle with things. It means that we, have to, we are developing, we should be developing the kind of vision and wisdom to negotiate, to find our way through things. But if we backtrack to the same things all the time, it's just a sign that somehow we're not actually implementing or developing the character of a believer that is that Peter is telling us. So, this brings us to another agreement. This is not a family church. It's not a house church. The family you've always wanted. Come here and feel welcome. We will hug you until the end of days. We are not a family church, we're not a home church, we are simply fulfilling the Great Commission. Go ye into all the, all the world and make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey all those things that I have spoken to you, taught you. That's the commission, that's what we're supposed to do. So, from my understanding, I have said this many times, but I haven't said it lately, I want to make sure that we still agree. I am discipling you so that you can become a discipler. It might be that somebody continues to come to the fellowship and they want to be under our protection and our guidance and they want to enjoy the wonderful experience and relationships, but they're just never going to become someone that can disciple someone else. That's fine. That's not something that I've agreed to. You can continue to come. I've not agreed to walking with you for 20 years and you never become someone that can disciple someone else. In the kingdom of God, there's no introverts, no extroverts. There's witnesses. And that's it. No excuses, no nothing. We're all in Messiah and we're all there. Okay. For some people it might come a little bit easier than others. But I find that mostly that the extroverts actually generally do a little bit worse in the beginning than the introverts. Okay. So, this is a discipling ministry. To be here, we're assuming if you continue to come, you have agreed to be discipled. The word disciple is to be a student. We are students of Him. And the way that we are students of Him, we study His word carefully to understand it and to do it. Wouldn't it be silly for someone to go 
study medicine and then gain a master's degree and everything and never practice medicine. How would that that'd be weird? Wouldn't that be weird? Wouldn't that be weird if somebody studied law for 50 years and never actually practiced law in any way? So we are disciples. And the reason we come and we listen to these wonderful, excellent, superior and superb teachings. You've got magnificent. Magnificent. Um, you know, many people say to me, well, they, talk, they tell me about this ministry or that piece, and they all go like, it's, the, the new thing is now everybody is word-based. It just means they read something from the Bible. Okay, okay. This, uh, to really be word-based, word-based, I actually don't even want to use that anymore because now everybody's word-based. It means we loosely base some of our thinking on a translation of the Bible that we will choose to fit our thinking and our, the thinking of our choosing at the moment, and then we will base what we say on that. And it becomes word-based. Okay, so we've got to come up with a new term to describe yeah, when we actually gain exact understanding of what is written and the language that it was written in the intent so that we can... So we're going to just become will of Yahweh-based church, no longer word-based because everybody's word-based now. And there's so many translations. And maybe you can just buy the Message Bible and then be word-based there. Okay, so, um, I believe the Satanic Bible, the Satanic Church is also word-based, because they have their own Bible. Okay. We are a discipleship fellowship, according to the Great Commission, which means if you go to school and you never pass, But you still go. I don't know what happens then. I actually don't know. <laughs> it's like there's going to be a cutoff point somewhere. Uh, everybody thinks the guy's the teacher because he's 80 in grade one. No. So. <laughs> And because he's so old, that's why there's someone else actually doing the work, but he's the guy in charge. Now, you see, the problem is, if somebody is in grade 3, at 18, because he never passed, eventually he's going to start teaching everybody around him, because he's been there a while, he knows what's happening. Okay. Okay, discipling ministry means that we have to very quickly move into a place where we can be trusted to contribute. Trusted to contribute. And it's at this point where that is going to feature. Somebody that consistently have shown that they're no longer busy with themselves, but they're busy with the things of God.
in their speaking, in their thinking, in their actions, will become trusted to contribute. You know what the deadly sign is? That when you speak to a person and every sentence starts with me or I and every third word is me and it ends with me and the person starts with a topic and then goes back to themselves, that person will never become trusted. Nobody wants to learn from such a person. It doesn't make any sense. Is, is this sounding like it could make sense? Do you want to learn from a person that talks about themselves all the time? Relates everything back to themselves? Or do you want to learn from a person that relates everything back to God and His Word? What's going to happen? So we know how we're doing in our discipling. How do you know? When do you test this? In everyday speech and thinking. make sense? You come into the presence of someone and they first want to tell you or speak about God and His things. They just speak about His Word. It's pleasant to be. You come into a person's presence and they want to tell you what they experienced with God. What they think God's Word says. It's not the same experience altogether. It's called religion. We're highlighting these things for a purpose. Now, maybe somebody by accidentally walked in here and they thought they're going to want a discipling church and then realized they just want a comfortable seat. Can we agree again that we're a discipling church? Because, see, if you all don't want a discipling church, you want a nice church, then I have to consider it, because I mean, otherwise I'm going to look for another job. It's like walking into Spur, and they hand you the menu, and you go, oh, but actually I really wanted some Thai food. I mean, fair enough, but then leave. Yeah. Makes sense. Nothing personal. <laughs> Alright, so let's see how that agreement goes. Are we still in agreement that that's what we offer? That's our menu, discipleship. And are you still sure that's what you want? Think carefully. You don't have to accept the deal. There's not a right or wrong. Discipleship means we actually learn. So you can't just listen, go away and forget, because that's not learning. We have to pay attention, continue to pay attention, and the intent is to actually learn and do. Because a person, he says in the Sermon on the Mount, a man who hears these words of mine and does them. We cannot allow a disparity to develop between hearing and doing, hearing and retaining, hearing and understanding, follow up. So the boy comes home from school, he got 3% for the test. Parent says, why didn't you study? He says, I did study. Mm -hmm. Have you ever had 
the situation where you have ask someone to pay someone to clean your house. Did anybody ever pay someone to clean your house? Do you expect it, expect it to be clean? Or maybe they were just, you expect them to look busy. So as long as they have a cloth in their hand and a broom, then you pay them. Now the point is, it has to be clean. Doesn't, doesn't, I mean, except if you work for the government. Makes sense. Makes sense. So it brings us back to the very basic reason why we're here this morning. A lot of people go to church because that's what you do. Otherwise, you're not a church person. Church person. Okay. Okay. So my point is a very simple one. If we are going to say we are disciples, let's not be disciples in theory. Let's renew our fervor. Okay, so on Thursday evening, we looked at which scripture, Nadia? Ephesians. Disciples. Who has read that piece of scripture at least once? From Thursday evening up until this moment. <laughs> Jason is like, I got this one! Yes! I actually tried to memorize it and then after about 20 times they forget it. <laughs> 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 Patricia, how are you doing with the memorizing? Yes. Oh, I'm trying. <laughs> I've, heard, I've heard reports that it's going well. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, it's just the gospel. If you look at it, pull back, pan back from the page. Don't get pulled into the complexity of the words. We're talking about Paul here. Okay, you look too closely at the way Paul speaks, anybody will get confused. Okay? Paul is intently confusing Satan. And That's his plan. He's going like, yes. okay, but if you pan back and you look at it, it's the gospel. Okay, so, but anyway, so many of you did read it. Okay, that's being a disciple. Being a disciple. We just focus like any study. If you go and do study and they give you your handbook for this year, the idiot takes next year's handbook and reads it because... He's so clever. The wise person will focus on what is being done today and this week and complete the task. Okay? That makes sense. Let's do our discipleship the way that we should. Okay? Right. Next. Now, we are going to introduce nothing new. <laughs> it's like uh, it's written I speak to you a new thing but it's an old thing and it's not a new thing but it is a new thing okay <laughs> who knows where that scripture is <laughs> yes right speak to us the new thing that's an the old, old thing. New thing yes the new old thing <laughs> it's not a new thing Okay, so let me explain what we mean. Um, 
every single piece of the explanation of what I am going to explain is old. And yet the title is new. And the awareness of it is so new that it might change your life. Value system, principle, and witness. Okay, I now drew on the whole board. What is the so principle ahead, called uh, planning aid? <laughs> yes, that's what I just said. <laughs> okay, <clears throat> so um, we've done this teaching multiple times. Every single person, believer, non believer, old, young, male, female, bond servant, slave, or free. Um, has a value system. It is a collection of morals and standards and things that we attach value to. It is the system according to which every person loosely will live. Without a value system, how do you govern anything? My value system is broccoli is really good for you. But sweets are really nice. But broccoli is really good for you. What did I eat yesterday? Sweets. <laughs> okay, so generally for humanity, whether you live straight according to definitely and precisely according to your value system is not really so much of the issue or the importance. The fact is a person has things that they value or don't value, things that they attach value to or don't, morals and standards. So a person could claim to be a good person and attach a high value to high morals, but they don't necessarily have to live according to all of those morals, but they do believe it, so then they're a good person. Makes sense. Uh, Sulani helped with the first time we taught this teaching and she used the examples of the Woolworths and the Willards chips and every time I see Willards I think of her teaching. I haven't bought Willards since. No, then, then I was like, oh, inferior chip. Unless, unless the money gets tight and then I go, yes, I need Willards chips. Okay, so one person might value Willard's chips and because they like the taste. Another person might value Woolworth's chips because they refuse to eat anything that's not bought at Woolworth's. Okay, we get the idea. It's not really very complicated and we have done it before. Now, um, the thing with those value systems for the general public, we're going to get to believers now, is that... A value system doesn't necessarily have to be precisely defined. Generally, more than not, it's something that's loosely defined. And it's uh, particularly done in that way because as long as it's loosely defined, then I'm not that accountable to have to live it out precisely. That's why we keep it loosely defined. Okay, so every person must exist with some form of a value system. Whether it's precisely defined or not actually becomes irrelevant. As believers, we know that there was a time when we were what the Bible calls the old one. Also known as 
me. And this person had a set of value systems because we cannot exist without it. Okay, values. Then the Lord called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. And we understood that to have covenant, we had to die and be resurrected into him. And now that we are positioned in him, we understand that we are now what the Bible refers to as the new man. Okay. I'm not even going to write it down because it's one man and I'm in there. Okay. But along with the transition and the repositioning, we also know that we have been given a new set of value systems, new set of values, new <coughs> set of morals, new set of things we attach value to. And it's not something we chose or that we decided upon. It was given. It was already determined. That's what he said in the beginning, that you enter into the finished work by its nature. It is finished and it cannot be changed. So the value system was given according to the standards of the kingdom of heaven. Brand new value system. And now, we understand that because we are resurrected and because we are citizens in the kingdom of heaven, we are expected to conform and live according to the new set of value systems. But now, to just have a value system isn't necessarily going to mean that you live it out. We know that's true by looking at everyone on this side mm -hmm. of the dividing line. Just because it's there doesn't mean it's real. Okay, so, as a short interruption, it's not going to be an advertisement, we are born into culture. Culture is learned behavior, that's all it is. We are bo born into, what we had as the old man is we had culture. We got that from our families, from our nation, our community and then we had education education and this was all things that formed the value system the mindset what we know and what we understand to be right and true or wrong and false of the old man right it's time we renew these pieces of knowledge. Okay. Now, did anybody here... Okay. When you were brought up... Now, this is awkward because there's some mothers and children here. But anyway. Did any of you have parents that taught you it is wrong to lie? Put up your hand if you were told. Never lie. Never lie. Yeah, I was confused there for a moment because he put up his hand. You didn't. I was like... Okay. <laughs> Don't lie. <laughs> Did any of your parents sit you down and say, look, it's wrong to lie in general, but under these specific circumstances, go ahead. Really? Did they? <clears throat> Listen. Did your parents ever sit you down and explain to you, these are the exceptions to the rule? 
<laughs> no. Try to go into a movie underage. That's Did you part the teacher there? Just tell them you are eleven. Okay, no. No. You okay, just put up your hand. Is, is there anybody whose par is, whose parents never never told them it's 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 uh, it's wrong to lie? Anybody if there's somebody whose parents didn't have this as a value system? No? And they didn't sit you down and tell you with what the exceptions to the rules were. They just told you it's wrong to lie. Am I right? Yeah. Am I getting it? Yeah. Okay. Did your parents ever lie? Yes. That you know of? <laughs> Did they tell you the gift under the tree comes from Santa Claus? Tooth fairy. Now, what did we learn from our parents? That they had a value system that they were not going to live according to. But they were going to teach it to you and expect you to live according to it until you're 18. Then you're on your own. As long as you live in my house, yes. my rules, that I'm going to break, but you have to keep. <laughs> and that's the rule. Do what I say, not what I do. Right, okay. So, we have this conspiracy that we are born into. The schools are in on it. The parents are in on it. All the siblings are in on it. Aunts and uncles are all in on this conspiracy. We're going to have a whole value system that means absolutely nothing. But the fact of the matter is, and back to your teaching, is that all of us have this value system. Now, we started off by saying, when we are reborn, and we come into the kingdom of God, God isn't like our parents and our teachers. See, he actually wrote it down. And then it turns out he meant it. What a shock. Uh, Christianity is walking around and going like, well, he's just like my dad. doesn't really good, mean it. Good, good, good dad. Like... With abundant mercy and grace. So everybody says, what you going to, you ask people, what are you going to be judged according to? Well, Ten Commandments. <laughs> okay, so heaven's going to be an empty place. Right? <laughs> okay, so let's go ahead with that. Okay, Sorry, now. can I sit here? <clears throat> The link between said value system, either here or there, any kind of value system, the link between the value system and actually living out the value system is the principles. <laughs> principles. Because somehow we're going to have to do some things to actually live out what we say we believe and live out what we say we attach value to. Now, on this side, there are no or somewhat undefined or some weird principles that can be lived according to to achieve certain goals. But whether you apply them and when you apply them and how you apply them and how often you apply them, that's kind of up to you because you determine your own value system. And you can chop and change any of those at any given moment, which is really great. <laughs> but now, once we are resurrected and in Messiah and a value system has been given to us that cannot be changed, 
The Lord not just goes, well, there you go. This is what you should be. Best of luck. I'll sit here and watch. He actually does give us the word that not only contains truth, but also contains principles. Mm -hmm. Now, we shouldn't get confused. The value system isn't given so that we can live out some principles and do some things because now I have something to do. (laughs) The principles are given so that I can actually achieve the value system. So as long as I think I'm implementing principles but I'm not achieving the value system, then what am I doing? Okay. Now, we also understand that for very obvious reasons, I cannot live according to this value system and this value system. Because most of the time it's going to be opposing to one another and for obvious reasons, they're going to need and require different principles to achieve different outcomes. Mm. Okay, remember we had the little boat? Mm. Right? You have one rope. One. Here's a pole. I feel like this should go like that now. And here's another pole. Right? On this side and on that side. And your one rope you can attach either to the one or to the other because how do you live without any value system then how if you live without a value system you cannot govern anything we're going to look at that some more so your rope is either tied to the one or to the other you cannot have one rope tied to both ends otherwise it just means that it's attached to two poles and not attached to your boat which doesn't help you at all okay make sense so the boat is you your life this is you There's the one tie of your rope. Before we continue, we want to make sure everybody still understands. This pole, that value system, is the basic principles. The Bible calls it basic principles of this world. (coughs) The value system of this world. With other words, everything that everybody that doesn't know the word of God, what they think is right, we call them morals. Now, here's where we get to the new old, old, new, old. In the 1970s, which means in the history of the world, it's a relative, context to the history of the world, it's a relatively new concept. Psychology defined a term, a phenomenon, something that they noticed, (coughs) and they labeled it self-awareness. Up until that moment in the early 70s, humanity was unaware of self-awareness. And it's actually for very practical reasons. The reason is, up until that moment, most people, and you would realize this is true, most people actually just think of themselves as their own thoughts and emotions. Right? And even though it sounds like a concept, self-awareness, sounds like, oh, but this is so obvious. Most people, I mean, how can you not be aware of yourself? Psychology has found that only about 10 to 15% of all human beings have and practice self-awareness. 
<laughs> because mo pe most people consider themselves as their own thoughts and their own emotions. Self-awareness has been coined as the ability to see yourself clearly and objectively through reflection and introspection. Which means that self-awareness is the concept that you are not your thoughts. You are the thinker, the observer, the one who can look from outside at your own thoughts and your own actions and your own responses. You are not those thoughts or actions or responses. And together with self-awareness, there is the concept of self-evaluation. Now, you cannot have self-awareness or practice self-evaluation if you do not have something to measure yourself according to. This is where value systems come back into play. So, the reason so few people in the world have or practice self-awareness is because for most people, their values, their morals, their standards are somewhat undefined. And so you cannot be aware of yourself fully or evaluate yourself fully if you have nothing concrete to measure yourself mm. against. Pause. Did everybody hear that? Mm. Say that again. Oh, I don't Just know if I can. <laughs> Holy Spirit. Okay. <laughs> so the reason most people in all humanity don't or can't practice self-awareness or aren't self-aware is because you need something to measure yourself against. And so the reason we cannot evaluate or be aware of ourselves fully is because, or most people can't, is because their value systems remain undefined. You need something concrete to measure yourself against. Okay, so self-evaluation is actually a concept that we are now introducing and even though it was coined by psychology this is a concept that we are now introducing into the fellowship and that later we will agree upon um, and everything that I'm going to explain now again is nothing new it's just a new concept a new perspective and something very practical that we can learn to implement right so self-evaluation is focusing our attention on our inner self giving thought to whether we are thinking and feeling as we should or following our standards and values. Which means, and this is a system that they've coined as or named or labeled as comparing against our standards of correctness. And in a believer's life, the standards of correctness is the value system given. Mm. Right. Which means that for most people, and let's, for a moment, I'm going to just explain this academically and then we'll apply it to where we are and how we are positioned. Right. So, again, the reason most people cannot uh, actively walk in self-awareness and self-evaluate is because their set of standards and values have not been defined. So you cannot measure yourself against something. That's why there's a vague awareness of myself, but there's nothing to govern me, nothing to guide me. Practically, what's supposed to happen is, as a person, and this is something that can actually be practiced, uh, they do it a lot in big companies, where if you are, as you um, are promoted, and as you move up in management, it's actually a concept that you can have training for, to be self-aware. 
And it's basically, basically it comes down to the ability to see yourself objectively. To look at your thoughts objectively and to look at your actions objectively. But not just to look at them and know that they're there. The whole point is so that you can see them and then compare it against your values. Against your standards. Does that make sense? So you're going to be self-aware, which means you're going to, a person can learn to be aware of their thoughts, their actions, their reactions, and then you can evaluate against your set of values, against your set of standards, to determine whether you need to adjust or whether your value system needs to adjust. Okay, so we use these standards as a way to judge the rightness of our thoughts and behaviours. So a child throws a tantrum and we go, no, that's wrong, because our standard says you shouldn't be doing that. Right? My value system or my standard is that uh, broccoli is good. And so the moment I finish a slab of chocolate in 30 seconds, I feel bad. Why? Because I didn't, because when I look at it, when I look at the truth of it, my action didn't align with my standards. And so basically, Wait, did everybody hear that? We've got, to, we've got to try and keep up. This is an application that's going to become very important in the future. Mm. When we look at the reality of our actual actions, what we're actually doing, and it doesn't line up, with a value system that I've accepted and I've agreed to leaves us with a sensation. Mm. Okay. Either good or bad. Because obviously there are two outcomes when I evaluate myself against my standards. Either my behaviors and my thoughts and my actions and reactions align with my set of standards. This could lead to a feeling of satisfaction, um, Oh, the world calls it pride, but it's not like the, oh, I'm so marvelous. It's just, oh, I, I'm aligned. And generally, we don't really have to think about this ever again. We just keep moving, right? Because we're aligned. Our actions and our behaviors and our thoughts are aligned with our values and standards. The second outcome is obviously when we're disaligned. That means there's a discrepancy, which means that I value eating salads and being healthy and exercising a lot, but then I eat a whole slab of chocolate now there's a discrepancy. My behavior didn't line up with my set of standards. Right? And now this leaves me with two, two basic choices, or actually three. Switch to dark chocolate. <laughs> Four <laughs> options. <laughs> okay. The first option is I could decide, okay, once I, and remember, this is for when I self-evaluate. This is now no longer applicable to a person who doesn't self-evaluate and isn't self-aware. The person who now is self-aware and can objectively look at what just happened and go like, okay, I see that I value this, but I did this. Right? Here are the options. Firstly, we can decide to change the standard. A person can decide. Well, maybe I don't actually, I thought I valued living healthily and just eating vegetables, but actually I do like sugar. And so then gonna, you become a foodie. <laughs> so I'm going to change the standard. And this isn't 
very little of this, if any, is based on right or wrong. Okay, this isn't right or wrong. This is just the way we live. Okay, so I can I can decide to change the standard, or I can decide to change my behavior to align with the standard. So I can decide. Okay, I see the discrepancy. I'm never going to eat sugar again because then I'll align with my standard of only eating vegetables and salad and meat. Okay, I can do that. Or, third option, I can be aware of the discrepancy and because I don't actually want to align and it seems like too high a cost and not really something that I want to do, I can just into the future decide I'm going to avoid to ever evaluate myself in this area again. Nice. And this is a real thing. I can decide, I can be aware and go, oh, I see there's a discrepancy. My behaviors and my thoughts and my actions don't line up with my standards. I'm not willing to change the one or the other. And so for the rest of my life, I'm just going to avoid being self-aware or self-evaluating in this area. And I live the rest of my life never thinking about it again. So I never have to feel good about it and I never have to feel bad about it. It just is what it is and I'm going to ignore it. And I can, ignore it, I can ignore it to such an extent that later I actually don't know that it's there. Other people might know that it's there. And I'm just going to be happily oblivious. Now, it's not being oblivious as such most of the time. It's the person will continue to reaffirm mm. the so value you system. So you your standards, the value system. You just don't align. Because now you've loosed the rope for yourself from that value system. It's still there. You're still referring to it. You never evaluate yourself according to it. So the value system hasn't been rejected or changed. It's just there. So, <clears throat> if we now for a moment again bring it back to where we are. It might be that when we were the old man, dead in our sins, more likely than not, we were probably wonderfully living in bliss and most of the time not self-aware and not self-evaluating. But then we were resurrected into Messiah and forcefully our eyes were opened. And all of a sudden, this glorious and wonderful standard was set before us. Faith was given. We finally understood that the word is being opened. We can actually understand what the Lord is saying. We can understand what he wants from us, what he expects from us. And we go, okay, I see he's there. And I see the Bible says Messiah likeness is what I should conform to. I understand. I know nothing. I'm an idiot. And I'm down here. But at least he's given me his word. So now I can start adjusting so that I can move towards Messiah-likeness. He's given me the value system. I definitely want to live this out. I love him. I adore him. I love the kingdom. I love his body. And so I'm going to use the principles that he's also given to actually action the value system so that I can realign. Right. And then so I'm now, going to live it out. So now a person comes and the Lord calls through the darkness. A person cannot be resurrected and become alive and not become self-aware. Mm. 
Because you've come into the light. See, simply because <laughs> repentance is required for cannot. salvation. So, a person that cannot evaluate against something cannot repent. Mm -hmm. So, in actuality, God will come and He will give you this ability. Opens your eyes and your understanding, you go like, maybe I'm not doing as well as I thought, or maybe I need something that I don't have. But usually that's how He saves us, because remember the seventh letter, you thought you were rich and wonderful, and then it's like, oh, He shines the light and I'm miserable, poor, blind and naked. Now the thing is, all of this now pertains to us. We started a walk, and the walk inevitably started with Him presenting or putting into our vision a value system or, or, or principles, what is true, truth. And then we were given enough understanding to see ourselves in context, in relation to Him or the Kingdom of Heaven, eternal life, truth, righteousness. And we fall short of the righteousness and the glory of God, and therefore we had to do something to realign. This is how our work started. But now we go down this road a while, and some mechanisms to override our shortfall, to negotiate with our shortfall, or deny the shortfall, some mechanisms can be employed, and this is where we want to talk about ego and those things. Yes. Okay. So practically, and again, this is like a no condemnation, loving message where there's no right or wrong and this isn't to make anyone feel judged or this is not this kind, that's not that kind of teaching. We're teaching a new ability that I'm personally very excited about. Okay, so I'm going to try and open it up for us all. Practically, we know that in the beginning of our walk, um, because our eyes were open, because grace is just flooding us, the river of life is flooding us, we're living in the light, uh, everything is new and exciting, self-awareness is in the order of the day. We're constantly comparing ourselves in excitement to the standard and the joy and the hope set before us, trying and doing everything that we possibly can in excitement to realign so that we can live according to the standards that has been given us. And it's great. And then after a while, it seems that somehow it gets a little bit tougher to keep being aligned with the standard that's given. But it's not just that. Obviously, if the Lord had to, in the beginning, show us all of the discrepancies between us and Him, we would, I feel like I would have died beyond the point of being able to be resurrected. If you understand what I mean. So I, I understood for salvation, I was dead in my sins. I fell completely short of his righteousness and that saved me. Because I understood that resurrection and life and forgiveness was only in him. Right? And that was enough. That's salvation. But now, as I start walking out the road, as my understanding deepens, as my vision increases as I increase in the knowledge of Yahweh and of Yahushua, 
as I keep walking on this road, I notice, and the Lord deepens the understanding of certain discrepancies that still exist that I might not have noticed before. Again, you cannot walk the road with the Holy Spirit and not be self-aware. So what do we employ? What do we employ to override it? Okay, so what we employ now, okay, but yes, let me get to it. Get there. I want to put it on the floor. Here's the thing. We do exactly this last thing that I explained about self-evaluation. Some point, most believers get to the place where they know there's a discrepancy. And for some reason, the discrepancy uh, isn't fault. So remember three options. Either adjust the value system, or adjust my actions, or ignore it. Right? Now... Because we can't change the value system, because the value system has been given, we're left with two options. Either we implement the principles and attain to the standards that's been given, or we just choose to ignore the fact that we are not measuring up. But that's not the only problem. In the study on self-awareness, there's been found that there are certain things that can actually stand in the way of developing self-awareness. And uh, they've narrowed it down to a few, which I'm not really going to go into. There's one main one that is really applicable to us as well. And they call it ego. We ego. don't have ego. <laughs> I died. I don't have an ego. So ego is basically the part of the human that thinks it's better than, stronger than, more beautiful than, uh, higher than, lower than, deeper than, over, you know, every, more. Or less. A few years ago I was doing children's church, in, many years ago in a church. And I had a class of about, then, I think they were about 9 and 10 years old. And this, there was this one guy, he was markedly smaller than everybody else little boy, thin, hadn't had his growth spurt yet. He was smaller than all the girls. But whenever he had to answer any question or whatever, he would somehow work in that he's the fastest, he's the strongest, his dad says he runs the fastest and he's the strongest guy, and he did this over and over. Obviously because he was small, his parents were trying to boost his self uh, Confidence. Okay. For him it was real. In his world, according to his dad, he was the fastest and the strongest of all 10-year-olds in the world. It would only matter or come to matter at all if there was a real test in a real-life situation, and there were 10 other 10-year-olds, then it would matter if whether it was true or not. See? Ego. Okay. Okay, now the ego, uh, even though we are, we might in our minds think, oh yes, we're familiar. Uh, Very practically, Uh, The ego is the part of the brain that uh, it's part of the brain that thinks logically and realistically but is concerned with pleasure and desire. 
And so the ego is the part of the brain that will logically and realistically find a way through the environment that is set around it to achieve said desire or pleasure. Okay. Did we hear that? Whatever will make us feel better, more satisfied, more comfortable. But it's not going to do it without rules or boundaries and just grab the thing at once. It's logical and realistic. So it needs to consider the environment that it's in, that the person is in, and find a, an acceptable way through to still achieve the desire or the thing at once. The pleasure. Okay. I can see we're all tired, so we need to just yeah. try. Try finish this thought and then we'll release you okay. into worship, okay? But please, this is amazing. Like, I cannot... <laughs> no, seriously, I've been so excited about this teaching the whole week. I, I know this sounds very academical, and, and, but really, once we get to it, it's going to open doors. Okay, so please, be excited. with it. Again, don't sit there and go, oh, yes, I have ego. This is not what we're doing. <laughs> okay. <laughs> That's not, oh yes, I'm supposed to identify that I have all these negative things. This isn't so that you can, I'm going to teach you, we're going to teach you a new ability. Okay, so just stay with me. Stay with me. It's a real, real okay. ability. Stay a real with ability. Me. Don't get tired. Okay, so the ego is the part of the brain that's going to find a way through. Now, here's the thing. We said that obviously because we're positioned in Messiah, the value system is given. And in those three options of noticing a discrepancy, we said, well, obviously the value system can't be changed because it's been given. But here's the thing. On this side, there is the old man. And when I was resurrected, the Lord poured out his spirit and my new creation into the old body. And this thing with the brain which has the ego on the inside, had its own value system. Had a value system. And it remained somewhat undefined, but also not, because the value system basically came down to me. <laughs> so the value system itself never had to be concrete. The value system was me. Sure. Right? Mm. Now, we go, okay, walking the road, oh, discrepancy. So when what? your parents were teaching you to never lie and always speak the truth, because that's good, they could override the reality of who they were via the ego, because in their minds, they were a truthful person. So the ego can actually lie. Yeah. It's the, remember, the ego actually blocks self-awareness. So you can start to practice self-awareness, try to implement self-evaluation, but then, so you go, okay, I need to now evaluate myself against my standards, right? So I'm doing that, doing that, doing that, then I get to a place where now all of a sudden my intelligence is, um, what's the word? Uh, uh, um, questioned. questioned. My intelligence is questioned and challenged. And I go, okay, instead of trying, instead of just evaluating and going, okay, maybe I'm not the smartest person in the world. My ego goes, no, I'm very, very smart. I'm, I'm, I'm like super smart. 
And now I can avoid, the ego can now mean that I avoid the discrepancy in that area because the ego is just going, no, but I'm very, very smart. And never am I going to objectively have the ability to look at myself and go, you know what, right or wrong, you don't have to feel emotional or sad about it. Maybe you're just not the smartest person in the room. And that's fine. At least now you know. And now you can align your actions according to what's true. Now you can align your responses, your thoughts, your emotions. Once someone else speaks and you realize they're smarter than you, then you don't have to go, oh, no, I'm not the smartest person. It's fine. Right? Because self-evaluation, no, I'm not the smartest person necessarily in the room. And that's fine. Right? Okay, but as long as now ego comes in and goes, no, 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 I'm very smart. Then someone else says, oh, yes, now, please step up. I'm going to say something smart. And then it's foolishness that comes out of my mouth. But I'm, the ego decides, no, I'm very smart. I'm going to say something. And everyone else is going, oh, well, that was a bit embarrassing. <laughs> and everyone else can see it. But in my mind, because I'm not applying self-awareness, I think, no, that was well done. <laughs> Nailed it. So I meet, I meet people in general situations and I prefer not telling them what I do. Because firstly, people have a kind of a jerk reaction. Then they have to decide, am I going to ignore the fact that this guy said he's a pastor and pretend like I never heard it because it's just awkward. How do I now talk to him? <laughs> but then, you know what a lot of people do? They don't have that jerk reaction. They continue, oh, you're a pastor. And they continue to tell me all the five things, extents, they, they elaborate on the five things that they know about Christianity for an hour. So they're like, what do you do? I'm like, I'm a pastor, I lead a church. And they go like, oh, you know, and they teach me theology. <laughs> My dad from, went on a missionary trip or two. From what they say, I can see that they haven't actually ever read their Bibles. But they're still going to tell me for an hour and I'm going to walk away. I never got a word in. But that is what happens to us. person never pauses and go like, if I'm going to talk to a doctor, is it the best thing to recite everything that I know about medicating? No. No, no, no. Charlene says she's a dentist. The best thing is to tell her everything that I saw in a documentary about how the industry works and toothpaste. Now that's what people do. And what is that factor? That idiot factor. <laughs> it's a lack of self-awareness. It's just not being able to see yourself objectively or refusing to do so. Have you ever experienced this in other people? Come on, think back. You go like, how did this person miss the fact? Or you, three or four people in a, in a conversation, right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. And there's a veterinarian. Okay. And the veterinarian, <laughs> okay, he is the one that needs the other guy's advice about dog food and how all that stuff works. Now, you see how much I know about animals and dogs and cats. Okay. You're standing there and you're looking at this happening and you're going like, why can you not shut up so that I can hear what the actual expert has to say? Does this ever happen to you? But you never get the chance. Unless 
the vet has a huge ego and he's not able to, be, to practice self-awareness. The other people want to have a nice relaxed conversation about, I don't know, maybe Javier's there and they want to talk about textiles. But the vet will work into every conversation how to treat a horse's appendix when it's inflamed. Now I don't care because I don't have a horse and I don't even know if it has an appendix or not. I don't have a horse. <laughs> okay, so we see how this works. Okay, it works like this. Now we look at the vet talking about horse's appendix sis, all night long and we go how do you not see that we're all just trying to get away from you? <laughs> or we are standing there looking at the other person telling the vet about a horse's appendix that's never been to any kind of medical school whatsoever and has never owned a horse. Right? And we're going, we're looking at them and we're going, why are you an idiot? But see, the thing that we should be concerned about is, in all of these circumstances, can we see what we're doing and what we're saying and why? And is it relevant? Is it the best course of action? Was this needed to be said? The way that I said it, was that the best way to say it? Did I actually say what I wanted to say? Did I actually say, say what I meant to say? When I have concluded the last half hour of discourse, do I walk away and go like, why did I even say that? And what was it that I said? And everybody else is looking confused oh, and they no, go I like... I actually never said the thing I wanted to say. Yeah. Okay, does this sound familiar to anybody? <coughs> Foot and mouth disease normally comes from a lack of self-awareness. <coughs> now the problem is with that is then we have to continue because of the ego to try and confirm to everybody that I wasn't an ego I wasn't an idiot for the last hour I actually know what I to I'm talking about so I'm going to continue for another hour I'm hoping that we're all connecting with the reality of what self-awareness is. So do we see what a role e ego will find a way? Mm. It will find a way to do what you want to do because your value system is you. Your standard is you. And therefore the standard must be right. Okay. Okay. So obviously we're not just saying Oh yes, be more aware of what we're doing because we've been doing that. Mm. Most of us do it and then, uh, I mean, especially last year, I found that there was this season where in retrospect, we were ace at noticing the principles we should have implemented but didn't. <laughs> like, excellent. In retrospect, oh, you know what? I should have done this thing. That, right? So last year we received a lot of messages and phone calls 
where people in retrospect um, let us know that I know exactly which principle I should have <coughs> implemented, <coughs> but didn't. I just want to show you, I know. I know. And this year, nothing. Yeah, not even that. <laughs> Why? It's not because we started actually acing the principles. So you know what happened? Most of us started telling us, no, I've got the principles. That was last year. I just started avoiding discrepancies. <laughs> but now here's the thing. So I first want to say this. It should become clear, and this is why I brought up the principles in, retro in retrospect that happened. It should be clear that as we practice self-awareness and self-evaluation, self-control is unavoidable. Mm -hmm. Right? Because self-awareness literally is going to demand that in every moment of every day we start measuring ourselves according to the value system that's given, measuring against our standards of correctness. Which means that every behavior, before I respond, before I do, before I think, I'm going to measure myself objectively against that which I believe to be good and correct and right. And it demands self-control. Now, what happened with the principles in retrospect is somehow I do believe I have that value system. I'm not applying self-awareness or self-evaluation, which means I cannot do something contrary. And then I'm going to just justify or you know, ignore the fact that I did this and go, oh, I should have done that. So now I'm going to do the thing, but then I'm going to come back later and go, oh, I should have done this mm. thing. So we have the standards. We just weren't implementing it when we should have. We were aware of them in retrospect. And self-awareness and self-evaluation, as we start practicing this, is actually going to demand that when I feel a surge of emotion, I could just burst out in tears and throw a tantrum, or I could go, wait, self-control is a fruit of the spirit, and overreacting is never a good idea. Right? And go, wait, what is the truth? Because now we go, we go through all of these principles in our minds and go, what, what, is, what is required of me according to this set of standards? And then actually just live and react according to this set of standards. And not go live over here and then go, oh, wait a minute. Actually, this is still my value system. Do you see? Now, here's the thing. So, <clears throat> obviously, we know that now we've now talked about the ego that is concerned with itself. And we started out again by looking at value system principle witness. And we said that the principles are given so that we can actually do something. So this is where the self-awareness comes in. Oh, this is the situation. How should I respond? What should I think? Okay, I have the principles. Okay, now I have a channel I can actually do according to to achieve this set of standards. Right? That's why the principles are there. And now we've gone through a few years of actually looking at the principles, reiterating the principles, talking about the principles, trying out the principles, failing, succeeding, and all of that. So now you can ask them, where's last year's principles at the moment? Where are those lists? Yeah. Yeah. We had lists printed. Mm -hmm. Josh, where's your list? My notebook at home. Notebook at home. How often do you look at it? His head went like this. 
Did you feel self-aware? Good. Okay. Not condemned. This is not the point. Objectively. Jean-Pierre, you have the list. How often do you look at it? How often do you... Okay, good, good, good. Exactly. My here, it's nice. See what... Exactly. You've gotten used to it, right? It's there. Gotten used to it. And unless someone said it, we would be vaguely aware of it, but not really. But now we are. See what self-awareness happened there. Ask the rest. Ask the rest. <laughs> Marcus, do you have your list? How often do you look at it? <laughs> <laughs> Jason, do you have a list? Yeah, in your Bible. In your Bible. Yes. How often do you look at it? I'm not going to answer that. <laughs> <laughs> no comment. A few weeks ago, I had to sit down with an issue. So I thought I'm going to take time and bother me all the time. Write it down. Just deal with it. Mm. Deal with it. It took about two hours or so. When I was done, I went through the list of principles. I don't remember why. And actually, when you sit down and you do that process, you actually go through all of them. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yes. I didn't realize afterwards. Mm -hmm. If I go through it now, it's everything with the beginning and ending mm -hmm. of every decision. Mm -hmm. Writing it down, being accountable. And then you see you've actually covered the whole list. Mm -hmm. Exactly. It's very practical. And we, yeah. we do it all the time when we do the right thing. No, I didn't. And when I set out, I didn't know it was going to have anything to do with the oldest. Wow. Last year's principles. Here's where I want to get to. What principles are we going to design for this year? We can't have the same old. Same old things we get used to. We've, we've read them now. <laughs> Now, you're going to see her face and the disgust on her face when I say, to That's be so continued. No. <laughs> Smiling. Mm. To be okay. continued. Right, now, this oh, is man, what we're going to do. Like thing. Okay. You shouldn't have talked about the vet. I thought it we was a very good story. As a matter of fact, no, when I go home this afternoon, story. I'm going to continue that story in my mind, the old vet thing. Yes. Okay. What else could the vet have Okay, so if any of you, any of you, have heard and understood this teaching, then you go home and you'll do something specific. And if you come to the meeting on Thursday evening and you realize that you didn't go home and you didn't do something specific, then you know that self-awareness needs to be actively cultivated when it comes to the principles. And this is my strategy in approaching 
laying down the fellowship in the sight of God, my strategy is, this was a pilot episode of a brand new process. So the Lord can't say lay down the fellowship because we've just started a new thing. And therefore... <laughs> See, we can't just leave it here. And if all of you excitedly agree with new fervor, yes, this is discipleship. We are going to again devote ourselves to the principles we're going to again make sure we understand and believe and live according to all the foundational truths, eternal truths in the Bible. And all of us again decide in our hearts we are done looking at things in retrospect. We're actually going to get this done. Then I can go and have that meeting and not be stressed about it at all. So that's the strategy pilot episode of a long series and therefore it should go well and uh, we'll continue to meet for the rest of the year. What do you think of my plan? It's a good plan, right? <laughs> okay, but it now depends on what happens in your hearts. Okay, self cannot be the main value system that we operate according to. So what must be the overriding value system? God's will. The plan. The plan. God's will. The one has to replace the other. Okay. The one has to replace the other. We started off with a commitment that God's will will replace my will. We all started off like that. And so now we're going to all, if we want to continue this road and see the end result. I'm not going to do that part. That's for next week. Okay. Mm -hmm. So if we want to see the end result together, together, for each other, not for ourselves, mm -hmm. then there's only one way. We have to again take up the challenge that it's God's will mm -hmm. and His will alone that has to be done. Mm -hmm. On earth, mm -hmm. we love Yahweh with all our heart, all our mind, and all our strength. And the other as myself. Mm -hmm. The way we live out that value system of loving God on earth is by actively changing our actions and our ways and our thoughts and our responses so that we only benefit spiritually, we only benefit the bride, we only bless the body. The way we do that is we keep ourselves out of it. This brings us back to the principles. Basic principles, basic principles. That's why the principles <coughs> are there. Okay. Now, how do you know you're still sticking to the principles? Beginning and end, if you are applying it to your personal quiet time and Bible study, it's great. But it's only real when it's real out there, when you're talking to people, when you're acting. A beginning and end is only truly a principle that you live according to when you activate it in your mind, in your thoughts.
all the time and that's how your thoughts start working okay guys let's remember these things and now we know that we've got to watch out for ego that finds a way mm. without breaking the rules finds a way to still get what I want obviously breaking now, let me tell you a secret. Big secret. When you break the rules, everybody notices. Maybe not immediately, but... No, mostly immediately, but sometimes later. But if you break the rules all the time, okay, the truth is everybody will notice and know, no matter what your ego tells you. Okay. Can I say one last thing? Yeah, yes. Please. Okay. <clears throat> so, I just want to kind of summarize the whole concept that we're now introducing, even though it's not new, we're just focusing attention on it. Self-awareness is the ability to see yourself objectively, to see your, to notice your thoughts and your behaviors mm -hmm. objectively, mm -hmm. like anybody else would. Mm -hmm. Okay. So now, here's the thing. We have the principles, and we've been looking at the principles, we've been teaching the principles, we've been thinking about the principles. If we were implementing the principles, then there would be a witness of the value system. Right? Because that's the way it works. You can't implement the principles and then later, give it three years, then eventually there'll be the witness of the value system. Okay, which means that if the value system is not being witnessed, there's a discrepancy and basically we've narrowed it down to two things either the discrepancy is just being avoided but it's not just being avoided because i just i'm not you know i feel embarrassed usually it's being avoided because there's something that i don't actually want to give up so I avoid the discrepancy. Because if I avoid it, then I don't have to feel bad about it. Right? And this is where the ego again comes in. Ah, yeah, but you know, there's this one thing, but I'm not, it's not that bad in that area. So just, you know, later or never. Yeah. Right? Or the second option is, maybe this value system isn't the value system I want. Did everybody hear that? Did everybody really hear that? And the only way we're going to know is if we start applying self-awareness mm -hmm. and evaluating our thoughts and our behaviors. And again, I'm not, this isn't a right or wrong or it should be this or it should be that. What we want to achieve and what I feel is one of the big things we want to achieve with this new concept mm -hmm. is the ability to just be honest with ourselves. We're going through a season of deception and especially self-deception mm -hmm. And this is, this is a tool that's going to help us actually contravene that. Mm. Is where we go, okay, wait a minute. If I was implementing the principles the way that I thought I've been, then my witness should be the value system that I say I have. Mm. So if there's a discrepancy, then maybe I'm just avoiding it because I still want to do my own thing or I think I've done it. The ego thinks I've done it when I actually haven't. Or maybe I don't actually attach so much value to the thing I think I do and I actually value something else which is fine it's neither right nor wrong just be aware of it 
if it's there, then fine. At least now you know. And we're back at witness. It's only true what you think about you when everybody else sees the same and thinks the same about you. So we're going to leave that hanging in the air. Okay. So if I'm immature and still learning, then that's who I am. And we present ourselves as that. This is what you can expect from me, because this is where I'm at. I'm learning, I'm changing, and that's fine. The moment we present ourselves as, I'm going to teach you something, or I'm going to make clear statements, and I'm going to cement my who, where I am in, then everybody else is going to respond according to that. Are we all in a learning process? And so we can adjust. But it's only true according to your witness. Long term. Long term, okay? Right, everybody's there. And it's good news. What we are releasing is a fresh breeze, a fresh breath. air a fresh breath, a fresh flow of the atmosphere of the Kingdom of Heaven according to the Sermon on the Mount. That's what we want to do. So that we can revive. Revive again. We haven't run that far. We've got far to go. Okay? We've just started on this road started. We've got much to explore. We have much growth to enjoy. Why would we turn aside to other things now? Why would we want to do that? Okay. So, your witness should be that you know the Word, understand the Word, and live the Word. That's being a disciple. So, if it comes to the point where we realize, well, I don't actually know the Word, then it means we've got to get to know the Word. Does it make sense? Mm -hmm. But then don't tell yourself, oh, yes, I value knowing the Word, but you don't actually know the Word. Mm -hmm. You don't really intend to do. You see, so self-awareness. It's just look at it objectively and go like, okay, this is what I say I want, what I say I believe in, what I say I value. Am I acting and thinking according to that? Objectively. Okay. That's all. That's all. Are we there? I want to leave you with an example that I think is going to carry this through to next week. Did anybody's mom ever have to teach you not to stare? Mm -hmm. Or weren't you one of those kids? Now you've all been staring at us for a while. Yeah. <laughs> have you ever seen... People that never actually learned not to stare. Have you have encountered such people? That's weird. And then another one. Have you ever encountered a person that's not aware of your personal space? It's always a little shocking. 
Surprising. The person's 40 years old, and when they come and talk to you, they... Your breath. I can feel the heat from so those, those are those are extreme <laughs> examples, but it gives us a good idea. It's like And it's probably they're just not aware of it or or they are and that's what they want and decided they wanted. No, which is great. <laughs> See there's this person that stares. And normally they Older than 50 and female. You can sit in a coffee shop and three tables over, that lady will stare at you and try and hear what you're saying. Unashamedly. She doesn't even pretend she's not eavesdropping. Yeah. You want to invite her over? Pull up a chair. This is a good conversation. Join us, why don't you? <laughs> so, do we see how we can notice when we're actually lacking in self-awareness at times? It's just like, in some cases it's so obvious, but we've got to notice the nuances of us, in the spiritual and in the real. Do we get it? Some people are really good at masking and covering up. But it has to be real change. So we're going to leave it at that.